This is an exciting weekend for us because we have fully opened the hub and what that means specifically for our kids and students' ministries that they are using their new spaces. And so I did want to put a plug in for them. If you are here today and you are a parent of an elementary age or even preschool or maybe a middle school and high school student and you have not seen or maybe your kids haven't gotten plugged in to our kids or student ministries, it is a great time to do that. And so um, after the service or at another time on another weekend, if you want to get a tour, um, those staff or kids and students would love to show you the new space. The lower level is all kids space and the second floor is all new student space. One other announcement, um, over the past couple weeks, we've been talking about an Israel information meeting. As, as I've shared with you before, my wife and I are leading a team from here to uh, tour the Holy Land. And um, it was my genius idea to initially plan that at 1 o'clock today. <clears throat> so I realized the error of my ways earlier this week, and so we have moved that. And so I apologize if uh, you were planning on go to that today. Uh, the Steelers played next Monday night, so there won't be a conflict, but that's, we're just pushing that back a week. That'll be next Sunday, so if you're interested in doing that, you can. Uh, we do start a new series um, today, and I mentioned it at the beginning of the service. It's called If My People, and this is a series three, that's going three weeks with a focus on corporate prayer. And we're going to talk about prayer, but we're not only going to talk about prayer, we're going to put it into practice. And so in particularly next weekend and the following weekend, we are going to take a portion of our time. I'm going to preach a little shorter and we are going to pray together. So I want you to be praying for that and being prepping yourself for that. Two weeks, the final week of that series, I've asked um, our, our kids, um, first grade and up, and then our students to join us in here. And we're going to have a time where we pray over our students, we pray over the kids, and then we're going to have them pray over you as parents. Um, those of you who are single, you're not going to be left out. We're going to pray. Those of you that might be older, those of you that don't have children, those that are widows, we're going to pray together as the family of God for a variety of things. But today, I'm going to lay that foundation. But I want to begin by showing you a couple pictures. First of all, this is a picture. Um, I want to introduce you. This is my dad. Uh, Richard Hanna, and um, I had the opportunity uh, at one point this summer, he and I got to take a trip together. Now, I don't know if you have ever had this experience, but when you're traveling with a friend or a family member, how many know it's a lot easier when you both like the same things and you like to travel the same way? Have you ever traveled with somebody who you are polar opposites with and it's, it's just like, you know, they want to do, they don't want to go to alternate security at Pittsburgh airport and you do and you're like, go to alternate security. Everybody knows to go to alternate security. Okay, I'm the only one who likes alternate security. <laughs> But anyway, the point is, it's really easy with my dad. I mean, we like the same things. We got to play golf together. We both love coffee. It's just easy traveling with my dad. But here's the thing. As, as enjoyable as that is, as much as we enjoy talking sports and the old days in our family and, and talking about my kids and his grandkids and our family, um, my dad and I only represent a small portion of our family. And there's a bigger part that's missing. So let me show you the entire Hannah family, if I can. So there's my mom and dad, Richard and Esther, and of course our family. And then below the picture of our family, this is my brother Ramon. I'm the oldest, and of course by, they're by the favorite of our family. But Ramon is the second oldest, and that's his wife, Natalie. And you have to know, I texted him earlier this week, and I said, hey, guys, I need you to send me a picture, uh, the most recent picture of your family. And Ramon sends me this one with the Packers. I'm like, Really? You're wearing a Packers, knowing it's... So you can all boo Ramon. We don't like Ramon. 
I'm teasing. Um, my, <laughs> the next oldest in our family, this is my sister, Rachel, my brother-in-law, Sean, and uh, my niece, Hannah, Lizzie, and my nephew, Noah. And then this is the youngest who we all know, those of you that are younger, you really are the favorite. Um, this is Austin, my brother, and his wife, Christy. And uh, the youngest, newest member there that Austin's holding is Collins. And then this is their oldest son, Brady. And if you can believe it or not, Brady is, yes, he is named after Tom Brady because my brother is a Patriots fan. So you can boo him too. <laughs> but anyway, um, um, you know, uh, this Thanksgiving, I don't get to, I don't, I'm not able to be with my family a, a whole lot. Um, all of them live in Houston except for my brother, Austin, he lives in Tulsa. And so Christmas and Thanksgiving, they're busy seasons around the church. And so we don't get together. This Thanksgiving, I am. I'm gonna get together and we're all together. And if you have a large family, you know it can get crazy. Like there's the crazy uncle, there's the obnoxious cousin, and um, you know the niece, nephew who does whatever. And the same is true in our family. My wife will tell you when we get together, it just, it's madness. And we like different things. We have different tastes in food and all of that. It's, it's crazy. But it is an adequate representation of the whole family. So as fun as it may be with just my dad and I, something's missing. And it doesn't represent the whole family. I want you to look at the person on your right. Look at him, okay? Look at the person on your left. They are your family. We are a church family. First John says this. See how very much our father, we all have one heavenly father, one father, and he loves us and he calls us his children. So if we all have one father, those who are in the body of Christ and followers of Jesus, then that means you're my brother. That means, Terry, you're my sister. Crazy as it may get sometimes. <laughs> We're all family. Amen. Now, here's the thing. Family can get a little crazy, and, and, I, and I just want to emphasize this, that sometimes we have an attitude when it comes to faith. We think that we can separate ourselves from the family, that we can do what I call Jesus and me. And if I could pick on a group, they're not here in the room anyway. There are some that are watching online. And you want to be connected to Jesus. You want to be connected to the body of Christ, but you don't want to be with the family. And so when we talk about faith and we look at God's word, we cannot be disconnected from the family and still be a part of the family. We are all a part of the family of God. Now, how does this relate to prayer? Well, prayer is the way in which we commune and build relationship with our heavenly father. Just like in my family and with my dad. If I never talked to my dad, if I never spent time with my dad, if I never listened to my dad, then we wouldn't have a relationship, right? Duh. But we, we do the same thing or we think that we can with our heavenly father. Let me go as far as to say this. If prayer is not a part of your life, you don't have a relationship with Jesus. You can't have a relationship with somebody if you are not talking and expressing your thoughts and listening. So prayer is a significant part of our life. And I think we would all acknowledge and understand, um, at least mentally speaking, that prayer is important. But in case you don't realize how important prayer is, let me show you a couple things that the Bible tells us. Philippians 4, 6, Paul writes, don't worry about in anything, uh, don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Somebody say everything. That means even the smallest mundane things. Paul tells us we should pray about those things. Not just the big stuff, but everything in our life should be wrapped in prayer. That we should tell God what we need and thank him for all that he has done. 
he writes in another portion of the New Testament three powerful words. He says, never stop praying. Some of your Bible's translations read, pray without ceasing. That we should always, even right now, there should be a spirit of prayer that is within us. So um, it's not just Jesus and me. So when we talk about prayer, oftentimes we think, well, my prayer life is just Jesus and me. Now, let's talk about that individual prayer. Pastor Allen, are you saying that we shouldn't just pray alone? No, of course not. You should have private times of prayer. Uh, the Bible talks about this. Jesus talks about this. In Matthew chapter 6, verse 6, when he was teaching about prayer, he said, when you pray, go away by yourself. Okay, shut the door behind you. Pray to your father in private. So yes, Jesus tells us, and the Bible teaches, we should have Jesus and me moments in prayer. Um, however, we should also have times when we pray corporately. There should be times when we as a family gather together, just like our families do at holidays, just like we do in reunions, just like we do around football games. And when it comes to prayer, James, the brother of Jesus, even goes as far as to say, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other. So just as the Bible teaches that we should pray alone or pray individually, it also teaches that we should pray together. We should pray together. Even in Matthew chapter 6, when Jesus talked about going to your prayer closet and praying alone, it was a few verses later that he introduces us to what we call the Lord's Prayer. And let me remind you of the language that Jesus used when he taught us how to pray. Our Father, which art in heaven, he said, give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us as we also have forgiven our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us. Do you notice the communal language? It's not just Jesus and me, it is Jesus and we. And here is the point that I really, as we look at prayer, is it important individually? Absolutely. Should we pray individually? Absolutely, Jesus and me. However, the focus over this next week's is us as a family, corporate prayer. And here's the point. We pray both individually and corporately because our relationship with God is both personal and communal. As much as I love my dad, as much as I've I cherish that time together. If I only spent time with him and not with the entire family, I am missing the larger picture. And so for us, when we pray and we spend time, when we commune with God, corporate and communal moments are important. This was the attitude and it was the practice of the early church. When the church was born in Acts, we see them, and over the next two weeks, we're gonna look specifically at verses where the church came together to pray. And my prayer is that over the next three weeks, it will challenge us, that it will expand our thoughts on prayer. And more importantly, it will increase the passion of prayer for us as an ACAC family to pray more, not just alone, but to pray more together. That our corporate prayer meetings, the first Wednesday of the month, will be full like this. That we will value and we will cherish that. So to lay this foundation Today, I do want to focus on one particular passage in Scripture. I read it at the beginning of service. It's found in the Old Testament. It's a familiar verse to a lot of Jesus' followers. It's often used when talking about the importance of praying together, but it is also a verse that can be misunderstood and taken out of context. 
We're going to talk about that in a bit. It's a verse from which this series was named, If My People. Let me read it to you. 2 Chronicles chapter 7, verse 14. God said, If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven, I will forgive their sin, and I will heal their land. Now, it is a dangerous practice to pull one verse out of scripture and build an entire sermon on it or build an entire doctrine or theology. It's why I often use multiple passages of scriptures to show what the Bible says as a whole. Today we are going to focus on this, but I want to give you the entire context. Again, it's found in 2 Chronicles chapter 7. And in 2 Chronicles, at the beginning of it, we see King David has died. Many of you will know this story, but I don't want to assume understanding and some may not. King David, many uh, will say, is the greatest king in all of Israel. And he had a son named Solomon. So in 2 Chronicles, at the beginning, we find that King Solomon, David's son, is now king. And Solomon is called and feels led by the Spirit of God to build a temple um, for God in his presence. And this is a temple where God's literal presence, it will be a house of the Lord, literally. And as amazing as we may think the hub is, let me tell you, the hub does not compare to the temple of the Lord that Solomon built. I mean, this thing was laid with gold and jewels and it was absolutely amazing. So in 2 Chronicles, we find that Solomon builds this temple. It's all done and then he prays a prayer of dedication over the temple. And it's interesting that at the beginning of this prayer of dedication, Solomon actually asks God a question. And he says, will you really live here among us? It was almost like it was so uh, beyond Solomon's understanding that even though God had put it in his heart, he built this temple and it's now done. It's like, God, are you really, would you really inhabit this place? And then he continues to pray this prayer of dedication and over and over he says, hear our prayer. Lord, hear our prayer. When we call on your name, when we need something, when we have need of you and, and we need direction or we need you to move, would you hear our prayer? So at the end of this prayer, the Bible tells us that God responds in a, I mean, powerful, uh, powerful way. It tells us that fire falls down from heaven. And the, the spirit of God, God fills the, the complete temple of the Lord. His presence fills the temple. And it was so amazing. It was so powerful that not just Solomon, not just the priest, but all the people of God fall to their faces They fall to their faces and they begin to say, you are good. You are good. Your goodness endures forever. Your mercy endures forever. They are overwhelmed by the power of the presence of God. And then this kicks off a week-long party. They call it a festival, but it was really a party. So for a week long, the people of Israel just celebrate and worship God. And then when you get to chapter 7 of 2 Chronicles we see God respond to Solomon's prayer of dedication. And in that response, it's a little bit longer, but part of that response, God says to Solomon this, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves, they'll pray, they'll seek my face, turn from their wicked ways, God says, I will hear from heaven, I will forgive their sin, and I will heal heal their land. Now this is what I call an if we, God will verse. You know what I mean by that? It's a promise from God, but it's conditional upon us doing something. If we, God will. It's a promise. Now recognize what, how God phrases this. God is speaking directly to Solomon. 
okay? But he doesn't say, Solomon, if you humble yourself and pray. He doesn't say, if you and your priests, those that are in leadership. He says, no, if my people, speaking about the whole community of God, if you do it together, then what are the three if we requirements? Three things. One, we have to what? Humble ourselves and pray. We need to recognize that God is sovereign and humble and seek his direction. Seek him. Second thing is seek his face. Pursue the presence of God. He had just inhabited the temple of the Lord. So they were to come back to this place to offer sacrifice, to worship, to seek God's face. If they were to pray, if they were to seek his face, and then if they were to turn from their wicked ways. A New Testament word, a word we use is to repent. And what that means is not to just acknowledge that you've done something wrong, not to just acknowledge that you have sin in your life and you have made mistakes, but to actually do a 180 and change your course of behavior. God says, if you do those three things, if my people, the family of God, my children do those three things, God says that he will hear us. He will hear our prayer, that he will forgive our sin and that he will bring healing to us. Specifically, he said, he will heal our land. Now, I want to land here for a moment because we have to ask the question, what does God mean when he says he will heal our land? Oftentimes, American Christians have used this verse as a patriotic rallying cry, saying that if we as American Christians pray, turn from our wicked ways and seek his face, that God will bring healing to America. Let me be perfectly clear to us. It is dangerous, and this is not how we are to interpret this verse as Jesus' followers. God was not specifically talking about us as 21st century American Christians. Let me explain. When God says, if my people, who are the people that he was talking to? Well, first of all, directly he was speaking to the Israelites in the Old Testament. He wasn't talking about us. But in a larger scale, an application and implication for you and I, he is talking about the people of God. And the last I checked, the people of God includes far more than just American Christians. Okay? It is a global, it is the body of Christ. So he's directly speaking about the people of Israel, but he's practically speaking about those who follow Jesus. And context matters here. He is tying this into the covenant that the people of Israel had made with Moses long ago. The covenant that if they followed him, if they obeyed his laws, if they, he, if they did the right thing, God would hear them and respond and they would prosper. They would be blessed. This is why context matters when we read the Bible and we try to understand it and apply it to our life. Now, I know none of you came today expecting to go to seminary, but I'm going to take you to seminary for about five minutes. All right. Whether you like it or not, we're going to do it anyway. But it's so important because as we read God's word, some of us are different levels. I know many of you, um, you understand this. Some of you have may have gone to se seminary. But it's really important that we understand how to read God's word. As long as I'm pastor, we're going to co continually come back with this because we can't just pull context out and build doctrine and theology on one particular verse. And so context matters. And what do I mean by that? Well, there's several things we need to understand. First of all, we need to understand that there is a diversity of writing genres in the Bible. Not every book of the Bible is the same genre. What I mean by that is there are Old Testament, some of the Old Testament books like Deuteronomy are law. 
okay? It's a different style of writing. Psalms and Song of Solomon, they are poetry. So it's important to understand what style the writing is. If you get to the, uh, well, even in the Old Testament, there are books of prophecy. In the New Testament, there are gospel narratives. Even um, in the New Testament, there are letters. There are also not only genres, There are different audiences in the Bible. This particular book was written to the people of Israel at that time. Okay, in the New Testament, there are groups of people sometimes that the Bible is being written to. Could be the Jewish audience. It could be the Gentile audience. There are two books in the New Testament that are written to an individual person. Are you with me? Flowing with me here. So there's a diversity of genres. There's a diversity of audiences. And all that's important. We also have to remember the Bible wasn't written in English. It wasn't written three months ago. It was written over the course of time. And the Old Testament was written in Hebrew, Aramaic. The New Testament was written in Greek. And we often forget that as you translate that, there are words and and themes and ideas that sometimes can get lost in translation, that sometimes it's hard to find an English word that means um, that particular word in Hebrew. Also, there are cultural norms 21st century Western culture is completely different than at the time of Jesus, than at the time of the Israelites when this was written. So we have to understand and look at the cultural settings. All of these are challenges. And here's what I want to say, and this may be be a new phrase that some of you have never heard before. Uh, Theologian John Walton wrote or said this, and it's really important as we look to interpret scripture, we have to remember this phrase. The Bible was not written to us. It was written for us. There is a difference. Some of you have never heard that before. The Bible was not written to you. It was not written to me. But the Bible was written for you and it was written for me. What do I mean by that? Who was 1st and 2nd Timothy written to? He was written to Timothy. Paul wrote a letter to Timothy. Timothy is the audience. Now, does that mean that 1st and 2nd Timothy is not applicable to us? Of course it is applicable to us. It is for us, but it wasn't written to us. Paul wrote also letters to the church in Rome. uh, He wrote letters to the church in Corinth and Ephesus. I love somebody said it not too long ago that if Paul was still writing letters to churches, the American church would get one. (laughs) We'd probably have a first, second, third, fourth. (laughs) But you get my point, okay? The Bible's not written to us, but it is for us. And let's remember that Paul writes, all scripture is inspired by God. All scripture, regardless of the genre, regardless of the audience, regardless whether we think it's, it's, it's applicable for today or not, Paul says, yes, all scripture is useful to teach us what is true, to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we are wrong and teaches us to do what is right. So all scripture is for us. All scripture from the beginning to the end is applicable to teach us. But we just have to remember in its context that it wasn't written directly to us. So then what does it mean when we say, if my people were called by my name? For us, the implication is this, that if God's people, not just American Christians, but all of his people who are called by name, if they will humble themselves and pray, if they pursue his presence, seek his face, not his hand, but his face. If they turn from their wicked ways, if they repent, yes, God will hear us. 
He will forgive our sin and he will bring healing, healing to our land. He will bring healing to your home. He will bring healing to where you live. He will bring healing to where you walk. He will bring healing to your workplace. He will bring healing to the marketplace. He will bring healing to the community. He will bring healing to the city. He will bring healing to this nation. He will bring healing to all nations because we are living the blessed life, the kingdom of God life, and it's an overflow so that when the the fruit of the spirit overpour in our lives, those around us are also blessed. So does that mean America will be blessed? Absolutely, but it goes far beyond that. That's how we should interpret it. And that's what it means. Here's the call to action for us today. And over the next several weeks, uh, the Lord has really put in my heart that I am to challenge you as he has challenged me not individually even as much as a church family, that we are to enter into a season of prayer. Prayer like we never have before. And I'm calling it the ACAC Prayer Challenge. I'm asking as many as who call ACAC their church home that would join to do, commit 40 days of prayer, a 40-day prayer challenge. And here's the thing. I don't mean just for the adults in this room. I'm asking those of you that have parents, to teach your kids the importance of prayer and that they would commit to it. Our kids are gonna be talking about it right now in kids' ministry. Pastor Joe and Pastor Joel and Amani are gonna be talking about it in student ministry and everybody who can, regardless of your age, to do a 40-day prayer challenge. Now, I made an exception to that. The series is three weeks long. Um, For some of you, that's for parents and little kids, that's 40 days is a long time. So if maybe some of you wanna do 21 days, but as many that will do 40, Parents, if you want to teach your kids and start with 21, that'd be great. Maybe there's some adults in here that you just, you've never prayed on a regular basis. It's not a, a, a daily discipline in your life. And you're thinking, man, I don't know if I can make it 40 days. Set a goal of 21. And then get to 21 and go through 40. And there is a specific instructions I want to give you on prayer. I am asking as many that will join me for 40 days or 21 days to pray at 7.14 a.m. every day beginning tomorrow or, at set, or and 7.14 p.m. every night. Anybody want to take a guess the significance of why I'm asking at 7.14? Second Chronicles 7.14. And here's the beauty of this. Um, I know, you know, seven, all have different schedules. For some, 7.14 in the morning doesn't work. 714 is better, especially if you have young kids. Parents, I want you to take your kids. Uh, for me, I, I set an alarm on my phone. It's going to go off at 714 every day starting tomorrow. That reminds me to pray in the morning and the evening. And here's what I want you to think about. As you are praying at 714 tomorrow morning and 714 tomorrow night for the next 21 or 40 days, I want you to remember that you have a family that is all doing the same thing at the same time. There is power in corporate prayer. And God has called us to do that together. Many of you, prayer, you've been waiting for this series. (laughs) And you're all in. Uh, You'll pray longer than 40 days. But I want to acknowledge that there are some that this is hard. Um, Even praying for five to ten minutes is hard for you because attention goes different ways. I'm not as concerned about how long you pray 
as I am that you just pray. But I do want to give you a couple tools. The first tool, um, and I'm always careful about this because I, I, I want to be careful what books I endorse. But there is not a book that I recommend or give to people more than this book. And it's a small, simple book. It's called The 40-Day Prayer Challenge. It's called Draw the Circle by Mark Batterson. He pastors a church in Washington, D.C. First of all, uh, there's nothing supernatural, special, magical about this book at all. It's a book. But if that's you and it's hard for you to pray, maybe longer than five minutes, or you're thinking, man, I just, that's a long time. I want to encourage you to get this book today. We have them available in the lobby now. Um, I heard they're, they're almost sold out. So we will order more this week and we'll have them for next weekend. The book costs $10. That's the cheapest as we could find it. It's, it's just covering the cost of the book. Um, and I don't want that $10 to inhibit anybody. So if you don't have $10, you can't afford it and you want the book and you'll do it, um, we're gonna cover the cost on that. Uh, this, I've probably gone through this book, my wife and I, probably five or six times. It just, Pastor Mark has a way of, of expanding your thoughts on prayer, challenging you in prayer. And so um, if you want to maybe bring a refresh to your prayer life, I would encourage you to use this. The second thing I would encourage you to do is to journal your prayers. I know I sound like a broken record because I say this a lot. Um, it's been said, and I've heard Pastor Rock say it, the shortest pencil is longer than the longest memory. And as followers of Jesus, we have short-term memory when it comes to God answering prayers. Um, and I, I learned many years ago the power of journaling our prayers. Every day I'll, I'll date it, and um, there, there are families that I pray for, there are individuals that I pray for, and I write it down. There are circumstances, groups of people that I pray for, situations. I don't write out the whole prayer. Maybe it's just four or five words or one statement, um, and I just pray, but I, I want a record of it. And I have found that for me, my journals have become really a prayer map. And what has happened is uh, I'll write it down and I'll forget and then all of a sudden God answers it. And I'll flip back through and I'm like, wait a second, I prayed for that on May 15th, two years ago, and God now answered that. And then here's the real power in it. During seasons that I, I feel like God isn't listening, and I have those seasons. I have times in my life where I'm like, God, I just, I don't feel like you're hearing anything. My prayers are just bouncing off the wall. I go back and I read my journals. I go, God, you were faithful then. I, didn't, I felt the same way then. I was like, where are you? And you answered prayer. And it stirs my faith. It encourages me to keep praying that God hears us. So if you want a little adrenaline to your prayer life, I encourage you to check out that book after service and journal your prayers. Stand to your feet this morning. We begin tomorrow as many that will do it with me for 40 days. 7.14 tomorrow morning, 7.14 tomorrow night. Let us be people of prayer. Here's how I want to close the service. I want us to pray the Lord's Prayer together. And as we do this, I know many of you have it memorized. Many of you grew up saying this in church. I don't want you just to read the words off the screen or to say it wrote from memory but to really make it a prayer, not even just in it individually, Jesus and me, but for us to do it in the spirit of Jesus and we. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. 
Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Father, would you seal that in us? Lord, I pray for those that are going to step out in faith tomorrow and begin this 21-day or 40-day prayer journey. Lord, would you inhabit their living room, their car, their office, wherever it is they pray? Would you stir in them and increase the intensity of their prayer life? Would you do that for us as a church, your people, trusting that you hear us, that you will forgive us, and that you will heal our land. Amen and amen. One final thing before you leave. Oftentimes I step off this platform and I hang out by the door or go to that lobby because I want to say hi to as many of you as possible. I'm changing my rhythm on that. I am going to be going to the hub and doing that there. So don't think that I snuck out the back door. That's where I went. But if you're visiting us today or we've never had a chance to meet, I'd love to meet you. Um, I'm just going to do it in the new hub space. So God bless you. Go Steelers.